0: Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers, episode 6, The Crossroad. I am Scatty, have with me as always my cohorts, Matt and Brooke. Hello. Toodles. And uh, we'll be kicking today's episode off, which is a a summary of chapters, uh, Eddard's 5th and 6th chapter, Jon's 4th chapter, Catelyn's 6th chapter, and Sansa's 2nd chapter, or according to Wiki of Ice and Fire, chapters 25 through 29 of Game of Thrones. Reminder: We are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast for a special segment we do called Davos After Dark. Uh, don't worry when that segment's coming; we'll warn you, and we'll get a nice little music jingle to uh, to make sure you're aware that it's coming. And we'll, then we'll get super spoilery. Uh, also, I want to remind everyone: if you want to contact us to provide feedback, ask questions, you know, or, or ask us to, to delve into something specific that you're interested in, you can you can reach out to us through DavosFingers.com, which will redirect to our Tumblr site. Uh, email us at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com, Twitter at Davos Fingers, or find and like us on Facebook. Uh, I wanted to throw a special shout-out to a couple listeners for showing some awesome support. Uh, one of our listeners, Heather, just her general supportiveness of everything that we do, and uh, to Austin for uh, contributing a very nice review on iTunes uh, the podcast, and we hope we can continue to bring strong content for you guys and everybody else that's listening out there. So thank you to everyone. So say we all! So say we all Yeah. Alright well, And no lo-
1: no pressure.
0: <laughs> yeah, alright. Oh, strong uh,
1: content, come on, Scat.
0: <laughs> we can do it, guys.
1: I got limp soggy noodle content. That's it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> soggy noodle content. I don't know if there's a metaphor in there for something else, but uh There is. <laughs> if there if there's something out there, we'll find it. Alright. At
2: least Brooke will.
0: Gross. The Force is strong in that one. <laughs> Alright, uh, Matt, why don't you kick us off with uh, Eddard's fifth chapter?
3: Winter is coming Like a dire wolf prowling in the dark He'll tick off your head But his friends call him Ned Warden of the North, yeah, he's Eddard's star
2: Yes, so we kind of get a little day in the life of Ned. He's going around doing all his duties uh, during this chapter. It opens up with him talking to Grand Maester duty. duty. We need to have like a count for how many times we say duty.
1: Seriously, do you have a word of the day calendar that is just 365 days of duty? Because you say that word a
0: lot.
2: Do I? Now <laughs> I'm going to be self duty is
0: my interesting. <laughs> I say interesting 50 times a podcast at least.
2: Oh, I wish I was as liberal with my words as Brooke is, but <laughs> apparently I stick with what's comfortable for me. That's duty. Apologies,
1: Matt. Please continue.
2: <laughs> now going into my self-conscious uh chapter summary, making sure I don't say the D word. Uh Ned meets with Grandmaster Passell uh, to talk a little bit about John Aaron's death. Interesting that Pascell notes that uh, John was hearty and healthy before he became ill and died rather quickly. Um, they talk about his final words, and he notes that Pascell or Pascell notes that John said, "The seed is strong," and those were his final words, whispered to uh, his wife and King Robert. Pascell also mentions that uh every illness is different and and so in that sense there was nothing too unusual about John's death but it was a little bit interesting in how fast it came on uh he mentions also that he probably wasn't poisoned that's what he thinks anyways or that's what he says he thinks uh before Ned leaves he asks to see the book that John Aaron was apparently reading before he had his tragic incident and, uh, despite the fact that Purcell says that it's a really boring book, Ned says he wants it. So he says he'll have it delivered to his room, just like good room service. Ned leaves, runs into Aria. So he's doing a little bit of parenting here. She's practicing her water dancing and, um, they have a nice little chat about Bran. And finally, when Ned finally gets home, starting to get changed after a long, hot day, uh, he he gets a message that Littlefinger wants to chat with him. So he meets with Littlefinger for a little bit, and Littlefinger reveals to him that four of John Aaron's household are still in the city. That surprises Ned. He thought they'd all left. So Littlefinger tells him who it is it's uh, one of John's squires, um, a few other people. Uh, and so Ned says, Well, I want to talk to all of them. And so they combine to meet up with all of these people and hopefully find out a little bit of John Aaron's death. Uh, Also interesting to note at this time that Littlefinger reveals that Ned is constantly being spied on. And he suggests that uh, Ned sends someone else to go meet up with these people and track them down. And um, Ned is appreciative of that. And uh, the chapter ends on that note. So an interesting chapter, one full of intrigue and all sorts of fun stuff. I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about, uh, John Aaron's death and how grand maester Pasell talks about it. Um, it seems to me that he's, uh, we get a very innocent look at this apparently very old man, man, he's old, huh? They said that he went to begin training to be a maester in old town, During the reign of King Maker, which was like 70 years before this. And then he'd been in service in King's Landing for something like 40 years. So this guy is old, and he's been around the block a few times. Uh, I did find it interesting, as Scatty did as well, that – or Pacell mentions that that John was hale and healthy as ever uh, before he came down with this sickness. Whereas Big Bobby Baratheon mentions that he wasn't really himself – and so I thought that that was interesting that there was a slight discrepancy in the way that they talk about it. The what whole thing guys- is
1: fishy. <laughs> um, before you ask, what do you guys think? Let me tell you what I think, Matt. The Why whole you- thing, <laughs> the whole thing is fishy. I mean, you just kind of prove the point of the experience and amount of um, medical knowledge that Grandmaster Pyzel must have. And for him to be like, yeah, it was a sudden illness. And Ned is like, can you please be more specific? And Grandmaster Paisal is like, no. And I sent the other doctor away. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, he's putting on a really good show of innocence. And obviously Ned is trying to be respectful. But uh, something something weird is going down and... uh, obviously why ned investigates further and also has that little internal monologue of um a uh, grandmeister pysel is quite loyal but to whom
2: to whom and then you almost hear the music the yeah. music come in at that point
0: almost seems like he has this thing going on where he thinks he's so old and so well trusted at this point that no one will second guess him mm-hmm. you know what i mean he's just like I can I can get away with saying whatever I want, and nobody's gonna second guess me, you know the the whole the whole dismissing. He, he even says, "I don't think she'll ever forgive me for dismissing the other maester," right? As if as if it is controversial, but he's like, "Ah, eh, but I did it, no biggie." Because I'm the grand maester. Because that's how I, that's how how it works. I, I wondered a little bit. I I put in my notes some specifics about what the other maester was doing to him, some peppers and stuff. Uh, I don't remember what 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 it specifically was, but it sounded like some more exploratory, somewhat pervasive, desperate measures were being tried by the other maester. And Paisal was just like, ah, that's not really too good for for an old person's body. When he had just said, and and Baratheon had said too, how healthy he had been before. It's not like this was an old body. You've got multiple references to John Aaron seeming like a much younger, much more hale and hearty fellow than he was, and Mm -hmm. and Pycelle's like, oh, the old, it's an old body, you can't treat it like that, you know? In fact, he was,
2: we get even a little note in there that he was going to get some new armor made, which, you know, maybe he's, he's obviously going to be in good shape wearing his armor probably, so he's a healthy dude. Well, he was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very fishy. But but it is it is everything is delivered so calmly so matter of factly. I don't Ned Ned's powers of perception are much stronger than mine. I would have sat through that interview and been like, "Dude seems to know what he's saying."
2: Yep, got gotcha, you, buddy. Yep, yeah. I agree. Ned's,
0: Ned, Ned's onto him somehow.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked I liked the little the little line there. Uh, Pysel serves him some sweet milk, and he says. Uh, Ned took another swallow of milk, trying not to gag on the sweetness of it, and it comes right after Passel tells him about Aaron's final moments. And I, I don't know if if I'm mm. just overanalyzing, but maybe that's a little. It's just another little cool thing that Martin can do to show you that Ned's not buying it, yeah. gagging on the sweetness of what Passel's feeding him. Also, he
1: he spent the first half of the chapter describing how hot and miserable it is. And he's like, mmm, tall glass of milk. Whoa, gross. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, sorry, what were you saying, Matt?
2: That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs>
1: ref- it's cause... so hot, milk was a bad idea.
0: Because <laughs> refrigeration technology, I'm sure, was extremely strong uh, at that point.
2: That's exactly so. what I was going to say.
1: We are one soul, two bodies, Matt Thacker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Um. And even Ned comes out. I love Ned's directness, and he comes right out, and he's like, well, could he have been poisoned?
0: Yes. I love it. It's just like, no bones about it, it's just like, hey, poison, what do you think? Like, <laughs> there are people spying on this conversation, there are people listening in, you're going to inform somebody who knows who you're loyal to, but right. I'm just going to bring it out and say, I suspect poison. Come and get me if you think you don't want me to investigate poison.
2: Uh-huh.
0: So
1: the other doctor that he sent away, Meister Coleman, Yeah. He's administering a was- a wasting potion and pepper juice, which sounds to me like something, like sort of like a flush. Like the guy knew so that he had to get out.
0: something bad out of John Aaron. Like a cleanse? A yeah. Cleansing. What is it? Well, we... I'm going to do my cleanse. Right. Yeah. You flush him out. Well, uh, yeah. And get like, get stuff like, out of him.
1: Yeah. If a kid drinks poison, you make them throw up, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It uh. sounded.
0: You know, it sounded like, um, what is it the the phrase? It's like, <laughs> when when things are bad, it's like anything is better than inactivity. You know, like it sounds uh. like Picel's strategy is like, well, let's see what happens. And at least Mason <laughs> Coleman was like, let's try some shit. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, you know? we need yeah. to save this dude. And, yeah. and are you uh,
1: advocating for bloodletting?
0: <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I'm advocating for something besides sitting on your hands. I guess. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm I'm not a maester. But it seems like sitting on your hands in this situation is probably not going to get it done.
2: And, and that was the only time when uh, when Ned elicited some sort of response from Passell. He was kind of just sitting there being old and stuff, and just talking to him all calmly. And then when Ned suggests poison, Passell's sleepy eyes flicked open, yeah. and he shifted uncomfortably in his seat.
0: Yeah, uh, but it, but it, but it was if if he is playing Ned. I thought even though you know the little eye giveaway maybe. was was a little off, but he handled it very well. He's like, well, honestly, yeah, that's possible. Right. Um, You know, could be done. They say these are the types of people that would wield it. I'm sure Brooke appreciated that. (laughs) Women, eunuchs, and what was it? Uh, Cravens. Cravens, yeah. So there we go, uh, Martin, equivalating women with uh, eunuchs and cravens. Cravens, yeah. I'm sure.
1: Well, that whole... Um, attitude is prevalent in other historical literature, though that poison is a woman's weapon, yeah, and so I'm just disappointed that George would let it happen here too, though he kind of redeems himself by making so many strong women who can use
0: swords, so True.
2: George didn't do it. <sighs> said it Pi <Passell laughs> said it, not George. My
0: Remember? character is misogynistic, not me. See, uh,
1: Yeah. Anyways. I also feel like there's a lot of like eunuch prejudice and uh, historically people are not like lining up to get their balls cut off. Right. Yeah. You're made a eunuch for very specific purposes um, in past cultures for uh, slavery, for sex work, for um, castrato singers, that sort of thing. So I feel like it's unfair to be like, disgusted and prejudiced against eunuchs for something that they can't help. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. Same with it's...
2: women, right?
0: And, uh...
1: <laughs> Except being a woman isn't an affliction.
2: <laughs>
0: well.
1: So it's a whole different ballgame, my friend. So <laughs>
2: Pycelle it is.
0: <laughs> and, you know, when he's talking about the eunuch too, he just totally, like, I don't know what's going on between Pycelle and Vares, but he just throws him under the bus, basically. <laughs> Oh, yeah, just, like just like Littlefinger does too, oh, right? Eunuch, say, eh? I hate this guy. Yeah. He's a eunuch. <laughs> just like, all yeah. right, tell us how you really feel there, Faisal.
2: It's yeah. tons of fun. Littlefinger does the same thing a little bit later, uh, after they pretended to be all buddy buddy when they were talking to Catelyn in a previous chapter. So, jeez. Yeah. Who likes yeah. who here?
0: Backstabby.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one little thing that I'd like to bring up and just point out, we talk about seasons in Westeros, right? Uh, so we're switching topics a little bit here, and I apologize. So we don't follow that 365-day calendar per se. Well, maybe they follow the calendar, but the seasons don't necessarily. So winters and summers could last years in the sense of 365 days. So just wanted to bring that up. Uh, in As of right now, they say that winter is coming they've been in the middle of a particularly long summer if i'm not mistaken it's been going on uh i believe for most of brand's life they said so seven or eight years and uh but they have a feeling that that summer's ending i don't know how that feeling comes about do they have kind of a fall season or something like well, that well
1: here's the thing everybody in the north has seen snow but they can still grow crops so there must be some sort of like mini cycle within the larger grand scheme of...
2: Like harvest time and stuff like
1: that. Yeah. Also, if it's still celestial, like if this earth that they're on is still revolving around a sun and they're tilted on an axis... Like like I feel like they they have to have some sort of reflection of what we know as seasons. So I'm wondering if it is celestial, what is causing this big shift? Is it like miniature ice ages? Um is it like some sort of global web, weather phenomenon? Is it
3: Is it uh,
2: others?
1: Is it yeah, is it magical? Yeah.
2: yeah, is there some mysticism to the change in seasons?
0: Yeah, it it is weird. It's a huge part of these books. And yet it's just kind of something that he drops in like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, summer's last a really long time instead of winter's. And I'm, I don't offer any explanation as to, you know, elementally how it works or why. It's just kind of something you as a reader, you're just like, here, take this, by the way. And that's how the world is.
2: Just believe mm-hmm.
0: it. Winter's coming. We know that. Winter is coming.
2: And they, they do note that the longer the summer, the longer the winter generally. Right. Yeah. So it's been a pretty long summer.
1: Yeah, I feel like they're fairly advanced, like they should have been able to map up some sort of pattern, but they, mm. they don't. They don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, it's all conjecture. Yep. So weird.
0: Well, that, that does lead to there's some sort of outside influence directing it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, they, these are scientific people, at least the maesters are. They, I'll they be honest, be I never thought that. of that. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about here, but I think we uh, we probably ought to move on. Um Let's do it to uh, john's chapter brooke take it away
3: where well, we're going up north where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose we haven't met his mom but we love his wolf he's john snow she Buzz loves him music. so much <laughs>
1: i do love john okay so this is a John Growth chapter, and it's also an introduction to one of my personal favorite characters, Samuel Tarley. So we open with an in-depth analysis of how unsuited Samwell, or Sam, as his mother calls him, is for the wall. The kid is chubby. Um he's described as about 20 stones. And I look that up Hold on 20 stones is about 280 pounds or 127 kilos, which to be honest is not that much. That's not that big. Yeah, Yeah. That's not like bursting out of your clothing, like an overcooked sausage big. So he must be quite short is my, is my guess either that or, or George just can't like estimate pounds. Anyways, Um, The way that he's described, like, like all chins, I would say more like 400, but whatever. Right. The kid is 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 noticeably big, like it's his defining characteristic and uh, so big that he needs to be humiliatingly fitted with custom black armor, like a flight attendant loudly fetching a fat passenger, a seatbelt extender. Just horrible. (laughs) Like side note. Even though Samwell came to the wall like all well kitted out with his own armor that fit, because it wasn't black, they had to jerry rig him a new outfit and it took almost a day. So I just thought that was interesting that they are so committed to everyone wearing all black that even this like fat kid who they have to actually like like weld him new armor, they were like, Nope, we got we gotta do it. We we gotta piece together some shitty armor for you so it's the right color, not so that it fits or works. So weird. So that's a a pretty big commitment to their name. And yet John can
0: keep Ghost. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah. no one's coming at Ghost with some dye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, Sir Alistair, who our audience remembers is a grade A dick face sends one of the large and mean black brother recruits at Sam in a sparring match on this first day that he actually comes to the wall. And, uh, the young man Halder, uh, makes him bleed and slaps him so hard across the ass with the flat of his sword, that Sam's pants split just, just humiliation piled upon humiliation. Horrible. Uh, John ends up coming to Sam's defense and him, Pip and Gren, who are his two closest brothers up there, as we were shown through this chapter, stand up to the three other recruits that Alistair orders to beat up John because he defended Sam well. Anyways, uh, Sam thanks them, admits that he didn't help them to fight because he is a craven or coward. And John ends up finding why the next day. Basically, we have another contestant for the worst father of the year awards. Samwell's father is a Tyrell Bannerman, who was so disappointed in Sam's uh, like music and gentle arts loving ways uh, that he gave Sam, poor fifteen year old Sam, the choice to either give up his inheritance to his younger brother Dickon, who um, is a strong, tough little boy's boy and take the black or be killed in a, in an accident while hunting. So yeah. Can you imagine your dad being like, you can join the army or I'm going to kill you. So yeah, Sam has some issues. John, of course, is super sympathetic to this because he has uh, experienced his own issues with his family and Catelyn, Um, and he rallies the other recruits through various methods to leave Sam alone in the sparring yard, so much to Alistair Thorne's frustration, And uh, John encourages Sam to sit with uh, the other boys he's grown close to, and they become friends. And Sam thanks John for looking out for him and confesses that he's never had a friend before. And John tells him that they're not actually friends, that they're brothers. And he has a big Aww. weepy realization that he really does belong at the wall, and that while well, the Stark kids were his father's children, they were never his brothers, and that Castle Black is his life now. <laughs> Single tear, great. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the chapter.
0: And I'd, I'd say you wonder whether whether Sam's going to find the same thing. You know, he, he had he had this awful life growing up, and. You know, tried to fit in doing his own thing and staying away from his dad and uh, protected by the bosom of his mother, but you get the feeling that he was never very comfortable there, and can he find a place here where, you know, uh, against the odds, you wouldn't think he'd fit in here, but can he, you know, with a little help from John. Um, Yeah, this
1: all comes down to John. Just, like, hearing the descriptions of the other kids up there, Gren, who is not all that smart, Pip, whose mouth probably gets him into trouble more often than not. If they didn't have that glue of John to keep them all together, like, it would just be a miserable place to be. So it sounds like, though, they've got a good little crew. Bad News Bears-ish type misfits getting along. Little (laughs) T-birds. Well...
0: You know, I relate to Sam too quite a bit. I, I always, I always kind of gravitate toward the, uh, toward the smart, uh, physically incapable characters. I remember, <laughs> being a, a young boy and crying when Piggy got smashed by a rock in uh, Lord of the Flies, and uh, so yeah, I, I gravitate toward, uh, toward Sam too. And, Interesting,
1: because uh, in your notes you said that they are your natural enemies
0: because because they're fighting <laughs> you for food resources yeah I'm a fellow chubster, and so i I need the food for myself, and so <laughs> they better be careful oh my god yeah.
2: oh hilarious oh scatty
0: but uh i I want to talk about john i mean this chapter this chapter's all about John and we had uh we had a really cool growth chapter with danny uh last episode, and I think this is a real growth chapter for John Brooke you mentioned it you know where he has this kind of self-reflective moment where he realizes this is where he belongs. But throughout the chapter, he's also, he's showing some sort of ability to to lead this rabble of, of, uh, of people. And, uh, you can see that growth happening for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And very cool to watch, you know, Matt, you talked about, uh, in your notes, uh, a hockey metaphor.
2: Yeah. I noticed that, and it probably happens in a couple other sports as well, but hockey is the only sport that matters. So, uh, the, it seems like the best leaders that I've seen watching hockey are the ones who are more willing to to take a few punches, you know, take a few fists to the face for their teammates, and uh, and we see that from John. Um, my favorite hockey player ever was his name was Adam Foote. He just retired a couple of years ago, and he wasn't a Wayne Gretzky type player, which is probably why many haven't heard of him. But uh, he was one of those big, mean defenseman type players that uh it didn't matter who the player was on his team, whether it was the newest rookie playing in his first ever game or the oldest seasoned veteran who deserves all the respect in the world. If someone came up and, and did something cheap to any player on his team, Adam Foote was in that guy's face, uh his fist was in his face, or he was, you know, a stick was across their back or whatever and uh, sometimes you know foot as tough as he was lost a couple fights too and he took a couple to the chin for his teammates as well but the fact that he was willing to do that is what made people want to follow him and want to follow his example and you get that from john you know it doesn't matter if it's if it's the lowest guy on the totem pole like samuel tarley is john's going to stick up for him and and people gravitate to that and they know they can trust him you know, people are willing to follow someone who they feel comfortable around and feel they can trust. It's, it's a cool quality. I love that he doesn't try to impress the big wigs. You know, he's not out to get on Alistair Thorne's side or some of the other more, uh, maybe able recruit side. He's not in it to get on somebody's side or to get, get on someone's good side. He's just in it to help people. And they recognize that.
1: It's a good analogy. I like that.
2: Yeah. Any time I can bring Adam foot
0: into anything, I try to do it.
1: Well, so I ever learned something new today.
0: Yeah. So uh, I wanted to bring up the wall real quick.
1: Oh, I was just going to do that. I just wanted to pull a scatty. You go.
0: No, go ahead. Pull pull the scatty. That doesn't sound good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I don't want to steal your research, Thunder, but we find out from Sam the height of the wall is 700 feet high which is just over 200 meters for our Canadian listeners. Um, And that's as high as a skyscraper. Like, this thing is absolutely massively high. So in addition to being 300 miles long, 700 feet high, how the hell did they build this thing?
2: Guys, it's made of ice, too. Yeah. It's not like rocks piled on top of rocks. It's ice.
0: Well, uh, the science behind it is no good. I mean, uh, so ice, so I guess I'm getting at it. It has to be magic. I did find in my research, uh, if anybody's been to the Hoover Dam, that's 700 feet high. So imagine trying to scale what? the Hoover Dam
2: and have it what? be slippery.
0: And yeah, have it be slippery, and you know they, they go into that in some later chapters. It's it's pretty cool reading later on. But you know the, the science doesn't work out. Ice ice creates pressure, right, that causes more melting. So if you had a 700 foot high piece of ice, that'd be creating an immense amount of pressure at the on the bottom piece of ice, which would cause it to melt and Slide out and it it would not work. There's magic. There has but, to be magic in play. But Which, um, that's the legend,
2: there, right? Is yeah. that it is imbued with magical powers,
0: right?
1: I don't mean to like question your science here, but there are glaciers that are over a kilometer deep that have been around for thousands of years, like so uh, it is possible. I think keeping it in wall shape is
0: probably the magic.
2: Yes is that what you're saying, Scott is, it's, well, is a man made creation of stacking okay. blocks of ice on top of blocks so of those, ice.
0: Those glaciers are extremely wide and so the the weight is displaced. Okay. Right? Something that thin uh couldn't couldn't be seven hundred feet high.
1: Right. Well, and I'm also wondering how thick it is now. I want, I want all three dimensions on this wall, because yeah. John's going up there and he's graveling the paths, like as in multiple paths, for one of his tasks as a Black Brother recruit. And if the wall was that thin, there would be one path. Path right? Or at least two, one in each direction from the point of landing on top of the wall. But he said paths. So is this thing quite wide? Is
0: it like like a good platform?
2: I don't know that they say. We know it's, you know, thick enough that a couple people could walk side by side through so it at least.
0: Tyrion in a previous chapter said it's wider than the King's Road, which we oh. don't know how wide that is either, but we know there are wagons going across it and stuff. Good mm-hmm. memory.
2: Probably both ways. So.
0: Okay. But yeah. yeah, I get the impression it's pretty thick. <laughs> wow. <How do> you? <laughs> so, uh <laughs> Brooke,
2: your mind—goodness,
0: whatever. Grateful. It is a i gem. think we, we we share
2: that <laughs> that problem. We share a mind. Oh, so, sickos!
0: Let's just embrace it. So, I was I was watching a few Good Men the other night while I was feeding uh, my 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 new son, and uh, I, they were talking about the Code Red. I don't know if you, everybody hasn't seen the movie or whatever, but. In, in the movie, they issue a Code Red, which is results result of the death of somebody. Spoiler alert. And uh, that's like the whole cause of the whole trial that happens in that, sh- in that movie. But I was reminded of that whole Code Red incident um, when reading this uh, when with how they attack Rast. The, the one guy that's like, you know what? I'm going to go right after Piggy, Sir Piggy, uh, Samuel Tarley, when, when Alistair Thorne asks me to. And they attack him at night, and they're like, the hell you are. You know, Wolf grab, uh, Ghost grabs his throat and puts the, the fear of God into him and, um, you know, basically assaulting him. But it's a it,
1: remarkable training for ghosts too. To like, yes. Yeah. Keep going.
0: Well, just it it, uh, it, it pulled, it pulled into mind also something that one of our listeners commented on last, last week or two about <clears throat> some parallels between um, the U.S. military and the Night's Watch.
2: Yes, uh, thank you, Lou.
0: Yeah, Lou, thanks for, uh, for giving us some, some parallels on that. And there's a, There are a lot of similarities, and uh, I won't go into all of them, but um, one of the things that I, I thought about when thinking about that conversation is we didn't talk about the fact that there's way more free thinking in this group than there is allowed in the military, right? John mm. is actively sowing discontent Contradicting orders of Alistair or Thorne, appealing to others to ignore those orders. You know, like there's no way that would fly in, in the military, right? I mm. haven't been in it. I wouldn't survive a day, probably. Um, but I can't imagine that would fly at all. And I, I wonder what the real world punishment would really be like for somebody like John trying to pull some shit like that in in the real military.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a good point, even their discipline, you know, like uh, who was it John was talking to that you just said you just sleep wherever you want like yeah. <laughs> you just find a spot yeah <laughs> yeah it's
1: yeah, like, I wonder if they had uh, like stricter authority like if if the the people the black brothers who had been assigned to lead the various areas had more discipline yeah like, if that would if that would just cascade down like it does in the army?
0: Yeah, but they don't.
1: Yeah. Everyone's just like, let's just get through this, guys.
0: <laughs> well, and and people I can't remember maybe we talked about this in the last episode, but you know, the the discipline maybe when when the threat goes away, the less discipline is required, right? And so over the years, they've just become less disciplined, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's fostered some sense of uh, you know, challenging orders and doing things their own way because the discipline isn't required because the enemy isn't real right now.
2: Yeah, just getting through it, like Brooke said.
0: Yeah. All right, uh, we probably ought to move on. Welcome, Sam, Samuel Chubster Tarley. We'll uh, enjoy having you around. <laughs> uh, time to go to uh, Edward's second chapter here. It's, it's actually edited sixth chapter, second of today's episode. Uh, Matt, you want to go ahead and dive in?
3: Winter is coming. Like a dire wolf prowling in the dark. He'll take off your head, but his friends call him Ned. Warden of the North, yeah, he's Eddard Stark.
2: Yeah, how about us already getting back to Eddard? You turn the page and you see it's already a new Eddard chapter. You get a little excited. Yeah. Uh, until you find out he's in another small council meeting. Poor Ned having to sit through these things. I thought it was hilarious when um jano slint the city watch commander who i guess is kind of the police force of king's landing he's the chief of it uh is complaining that he needs more men and stuff like that and ned says that's cool yeah we'll hire 50 new guys and and little finger will make sure it gets paid for and little finger after all that talk about finding money to pay for the tourney he throws a little fit for hiring new people and Ned's like, no, so if you can find 40,000 gold dragons for for this tournament, you can find a few to hire some people from King's Landing for to protect King's Landing. I just thought that was funny that Ned kind of threw that flippancy back in <laughs> Littlefinger's face there. Uh, but Ned's still complaining about the, the tournament. He especially hates that it's being held in his honor and it's being called the Hands Tourney. But uh, Robert wants it, so Robert is getting it. And they go in and give some excuses as to why a tournament is good for the realm and all this crap like that. Uh, But Ned finally gets out of the council and he gets to go back up to the Tower of the Hand where he lives. And he's talking to Jory. Jory was the trusted man in Ned's service who he sends out to go talk to those four remaining people of Jon Arryn's household. And um, uh, Jory, ever faithful, had gone and done that. Uh, but he wasn't too successful and uh, didn't figure out a whole lot. And uh, we talk about that for a little bit. But anyways, uh, they say that we get kind of a funny moment when they talk about going to visit brothels because there was word that John and Stannis Baratheon, Robert's little brother, had been out visiting brothels, which is the last place where you'd expect any of, either of those two to be. And um, when Ned tells Jory, you better start visiting brothels, Jory calls it hard duty, which indeed it would be.
0: <laughs>
3: That's a twofer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Oh, man. Double and
2: <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Moving on. Ned uh, finds his way to an armorer where he finds out John Aaron had gone to commission some new armor for himself. And there he meets an apprentice boy named Gendry. Now, it's important to notice that Gendry is a fantastic little blacksmith despite his young age. And also important to note that he had thick black hair. Um, Ned talks to uh, Gendry a little bit, and they find out that John had talked to this Gendry as well, um, asking him about his mother and how he was treated and everything. And um, But he doesn't find out a whole lot. So Ned leaves. He decides that uh, Gendry – he tells actually the Armorer that if uh, Gendry needs a place uh, and wants to wield a sword instead of forge one, send him on to Eddard. And uh, he'll get him a job. And so we get kind of a interesting ending to the chapter where we get into Ned's head. And he says something along the lines of, he doesn't understand what John Aaron wanted with a king's bastard. <gasps> Implying that Gendry is a bastard child yeah. of someone we know.
1: Nothing gets past Ned.
2: Nope, nothing at all. But... So maybe that's a good starting point. What what is the importance of that? Robert seemed to be very open about his um, needs and uh you know what he liked to do vices Indeed. if you want vices if you want to call it that. As I said needs. I was doing the quotation marks in my hand with my hands. Thanks um, for yeah. Uh in no way am I insinuating something else uh so, so, what is different about this one? I, it could probably be assumed that with the way Robert was and with the things he liked to do, that he had bastard children wandering all over King's Landing and maybe in other places as well. so what's the big deal about Gendry? Um, why does that matter? I thought that was interesting to think about, and why was John Aaron spending so much time going to going after this going after this kid?
0: Yeah, it should be noted that uh, while he went to the armorer supposedly to requisition armor, he didn't order from him, um, John Aaron. So he he didn't place an order. A in there the armorer uh, says he didn't favor me with his with his patronage. So he didn't actually place an order with him. He he went to see uh, Gendry. Yeah, he
2: mm-hmm. didn't just happen upon him.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, this kid is definitely <laughs> significant.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but why is an interesting question. I don't know that we know the answer really. It, what 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 strikes me is why why is why is it a secret? Mm-hmm. What, like why why so 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 they say in the chapter that somebody came and paid a paid a fee to take him on as an apprentice. Right, that the that doesn't just take kids off the street for nothing. Right, he always gets paid a fee in order to take somebody and teach them the skill, uh, which is a very valuable skill. Makes sense, but Ned figures this out and decides not to tell him. I don't know what the advantage is in not telling him.
1: Well, Ned actually like muses on this in the chapter, and it it, it becomes kind of obvious. Someone killed John Aaron for a reason, right? We we pretty much sussed out that there's something suspicious about his death. That it was likely not natural, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right about the same time. He uh, goes investigating Robert's bastard. So, what about this kid is worth John Aaron dying for? Not just why is it a secret? Like, why is it a deadly
0: secret?
2: <laughs>
0: deadly yeah. secret. I don't, I don't think I've put, put my wow. question the right way. <laughs> Ned is very blatant, blatantly out there about what about poison? Hey, Pysel, what about poison? I don't mm. care if you know I'm investigating this. What about poison? He's very careful with this though. He's not like, hey, found this guy. I know, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Is there more like bastard etiquette that we don't know about yet?
0: Maybe I don't know. Is that
1: why he's being so careful? Because we've certainly discovered that there is a lot of of nuances to the whole bastard. How you handle that? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And another interesting wrinkle in this is Stannis Baratheon.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. Like he is portrayed we haven't met him yet but he's portrayed as this uh super um strict by the book guy he's gonna hang around and do what he's supposed to do and he he, you know he's just this ever oh my gosh i'm gonna say it dutiful guy (laughs) but as soon as john aaron dies Stannis books it out of King's Landing without really telling anybody and he goes back to his castle on Dragonstone, so to safety. That's kind of interesting, huh? For a guy who's so by the book and everything, he just books it out of there, doesn't really tell anybody, doesn't say when he's gonna be back or anything, he's just gone.
0: And we don't know what he thinks of- yeah, it, it is interesting. We also don't know what he thinks about bastards in general. But also keep in mind, he was with John Aaron too, on that trip. And he looked was, his yeah. bastard nephew in the eye yep, and didn't do anything yep. about it. We yep. don't know
1: much about what he thinks, but we do know that at one point he wanted to shut down all the brothels in King's yes. Landing. <laughs> it's probably a pretty straight-laced guy who does yes. not approve of indiscretions resulting in bastard children. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to take, like, 30 seconds here for a rant. I mentioned this in my notes. I don't mind that George introduces us to like a ridiculous array of characters from chapter to chapter. But what infuriates me is when we get all of this information about a character we haven't met, like very important plot specific information. And all we can do is like, it's just like, it's just annoying to keep in the back of my mind and have to track all of these details about a character that hasn't even been introduced to us formally yet.
0: See, and I like it. I think really? it's
3: awesome, Brooke.
0: Yeah. Really? Why? Why do you think it's awesome? It's just, it's just. It's because it's he's playing work. with me like a, like a, a, a little mouse in a, in, the, in a kitten's paws, right? <sighs> just playing with me.
2: This is a cheap, the mystery. Cheap. Because be, no, be, it's not
0: cheap.
1: It's totally cheap. It's oh cheap my mystery gosh. tricks. It's like a bad Agatha Christie novel. The, the murderer was someone we never even met. Like it's brutal.
0: I don't think Agatha Christie ever wrote a bad novel.
1: <laughs> she I think she had ghostwriters, anyways.
2: I like I think it's I think it's cool because it's this added element of you don't know if Stannis is booking it because he's scared that something's gonna happen to him or is he booking it because uh he did it and he's trying to get away? We don't know. I think it's awesome.
3: Yeah,
1: I like well, I'm it glad too. you guys are enjoying this. Just side note, I have something to say about this in Davos After Dark.
0: Uh, <laughs> fine. Okay. Uh, and hey. another thing, we might get to more in Davos After Dark, but uh, the whole little—it's—it's it's just a little paragraph where I don't even know the purpose. Renly pulls Ned aside at the council meeting. And is like, hey, oh, look at this picture of Marjorie. Doesn't she look like Lyanna? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and Ned. The the reason for the for the paragraph is Ned kind of evaluating what type of guy Renly is and what type of relationship he might have with him. But it doesn't. I, the, the the passage just seems throwaway. Like I don't I don't understand the point. It's, it's I can't can't figure out what it's about. Do you guys have thoughts on it?
2: Not that I could share here.
0: Davos after dark for that one.
1: That was after dark. Right. In the meantime, as a first-time reader, it's certainly like it—it kind of jolts you out of that small council setting. Or I can't remember when Ned is thinking about it, but it's—it's off-topic enough and weird yeah. enough that right. we should be remembering that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I will also note there's there's a little thing in here going back to the Pyssel discussion uh, and and some of the misinformation about was was John Aaron strong or was was he weak or, or what. Uh, The stories that they're getting from the other kind of household members uh, in this chapter indicate that John was strong. So it's more evidence backing up what Triple B was saying, that he was a strong, capable, able guy, and then all of a sudden not. Um, So more stories backing that up in this chapter, as if we needed more evidence of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Should we move on? Yep. I'm ready. Move on to Catelyn's chapter, which I'll be walking us through. Her words
1: will
3: cut you like Valyrian steel through a hand She can't love Jon Snow And she's sure to let you know where she stands A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiancé She's vengeful and hateful Loving and faithful She's catless Catelyn
0: Stark. So, uh, this chapter opens up with Cat enjoying the soft, warm rain uh, as, as she rides northward Winterfell uh, through the Riverlands. Her uh, companion, Roderick, is complaining about the, the rain, and she's, she's enjoying it uh, instead of the icy rains that they get in the north. Uh, she remembers that an inn is nearby, Inn at the Crossroads, uh, the name of our, of our episode today. And she and, and Roderick debate whether it's safe or not to stay there. And Catelyn has all sorts of memories of this place from from staying there before, and they're obviously in her father's uh, kind of country the of of uh, the Riverlands. So there's some risk of her being recognized. But just as they're discussing this, they pass a Tully Banner, um, a Tully Bannerman, who doesn't recognize her, the Malisters, ride right by and give her a nod and don't recognize her at all. So they're like, "Oh well, that guy didn't recognize you, and he was at your damn wedding. So why don't we just stay at the inn?" So they go and they get the last two rooms um, at the at the end of the crossroad, and um, they uh, they change and get ready for dinner. And as, as they're getting ready for dinner, um, Caitlin muses about going home to River Run, talking to talking to him with her father and getting advice, warning him of what might be coming. She also considers maybe running off to the Vale to see Liza and, and getting. More information, perhaps, that she wasn't able to send via, you know, her note uh, about John's death. Maybe being able to solve this mystery, but she kind of she puts both of those thoughts aside. She realizes her duty is at, at uh, Winterfell, and you know the the danger of of and, and delay of going to these places is, is not worth it. So she decides she puts that aside. And she's got to go back. She also, during this reflection, thinks about the loyalty or or maybe lack thereof of the Tully Bannermen, uh, specifically Walder Frey, but, uh, others, too, that fought for the Targaryens and wonders if shit hits the fan, who will come down on whose side, and, and really wants to avoid that. So, anyway, after reflection, they go to dinner, there's a lot of people down in the common room, blacksmiths and fishermen and all sorts of people, but there's also a lot of swords. Um, a lot of, of people wearing sigils that she recognizes as Bannermen to the Tullys, and, uh, you know, still hoping she won't be recognized, but but feeling pretty confident that she won't. They meet Marillion, uh, a singer full of arrogance and bravado and and more than a few lies, uh, it appears. They mess with him a little bit, um, you know, not telling him who he is and, and uh, asking him if he's ever been a Winterfell and stuff. But uh, they're just messing with him. And it's, it's kind of uh, light, uh, light fare. And then all of a sudden, Tyrion shows up. He demands a room from the innkeeper, orders dinner, he's about to leave, could go upstairs, when Marillion, the dumb singer, jumps up and asks to sing him a song. And uh, Tyrion declines, but in doing so, catches sight of Catelyn, and then shit hits the fan. She stands up, tells the story about the Lannisters conspiring to murder Bran, which, um, you know, all this is really just theory at this point, but tells this as a story... Uh, appeals to her father's bannermen to seize Turian Lannister immediately in the name of the king and take him back to Winterfell to await trial. And they draw their swords as one. And uh, she gets the support from the bannermen. And oh my god, what's going to happen next? (laughs) That is the end of the chapter. It's a good ending to that chapter. It is. very Perfect way to end it. Yeah. Very cool. Um, You know, I... (laughs) So much goes into that decision, and she has a second to make that decision. It's a very—it's just a very ballsy move. She doesn't really have evidence. She's arresting this guy on a suspicion. You know, it's just—it's a big gamble that uh, she's really hoping pays off, and it does. She 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 executes it very you know very well, appealing to their their history with her father as Bannerman, and um, you know their lords and ladies that they serve, and uh, you know getting their commitment. Um, kind of almost almost saying if you don 't help me, you are betraying uh your house uh and and through it you know she gets their support but uh, i don 't know a questionable decision what do you guys think of it? I
2: think immediately it paid dividends, but what are the long lasting implications of what she just did yeah? And I'm not saying she made a wrong choice because, like you said, it was something she had to do in a split second, and a lot of you know emotion and everything went into it, thinking about her son Bran and everything. But you Seriously? know, this is
1: okay. So Ned sent her back up to the North specifically to arm themselves against the possibility of the Lannisters coming up to get them. And then she just guaranteed it happening. Yes. She made the way wrong choice. It right. was so such an emotional decision. And yeah, I mean, she's got like good presentation skills, I guess. and Like good. She's, she's very persuasive, but she, she effed up.
2: <laughs> you're you're a lot more uh, emotional about it than I am. I don't, I'm not emotional, but yeah, you are. You, okay, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you, Brooke. But you know, I think this is putting of all people, it's putting Ned in a really tough spot.
3: This, yes,
2: this is going to get back to him. Obviously, uh, we already know that Cersei's not crazy about him nor is she crazy about tyrion right she could care less if tyrion was dead or alive but uh, if it meant using it as leverage against eddard you better believe she's going to cry and pout and be like your wife took my little brother who i love so much and and if and ned's between a real rock and a hard place here if if he sticks up for his wife It's going to come to him as how can the hand, you know, support this injustice. And she captured him without any evidence and stuff. This would essentially be like a citizen's arrest, wouldn't it? That same level, (laughs) uh, a type of thing. Um, How can you stand for this injustice and everything? Um, But if he doesn't support his wife and he's like, I don't know what she was doing. This is crazy. They'll be like, dude, you can't even control your own family. How are we supposed to trust you to help run this kingdom? You know, so it's it's uh got a lot of scary implications for for all of the starks
0: it's it, yeah for sure i i, I think i am I'm, I'm a little bit more on Brook's side on this one it's like ned and i put it kind of in my notes ned is worried <laughs> the, about a war starting and they they take the first move <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like maybe they should have had one more little discussion before kat went home about hey by the way we don't want to do anything to antagonize anything until I have some answers, or at least until I'm out of King's Landing with our family. Like, I, it's just yeah, – I know but, she didn't are, have much are, time because Tyrion came in, and it was a matter of a minute or a an and a half or something, but – Yeah, are we going to give Catelyn any type King's of landing? credit?
2: Are we going to give her any type of credit, though? I mean, I, I just kind of it said why ballsy, she made the wrong ballsy, choice. But, that's credit,
0: but yeah. – yeah.
1: No, she, no, there was, there's nothing right about this. Even if it was, um, uh, out of her sense of loyalty to her son, Bran, she just equally screwed her son, Rob, like. And,
0: and her two daughters in King's Landing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: She put a lot of, like I said, scary implications for the whole family at this point. So I'm not giving her credit for making the right choice. It's kind of like the same argument that we had about Sansa a couple episodes ago that, you know, emotional characters, very human characters making very human choices.
0: Okay, well, let's mm-hmm. talk about what, she, what What if she didn't do that? What would her alternative be, Brooke? Because exactly. We're That's very, we're very critical of what she's done. What should she have done? If, in my mind, Tyrion's Ooh. like, hey, I didn't she... see you in Winterfell. What are you doing down here? What...
1: She should have gotten her buddy to, like, she should have just laid low, uh, talked off uh, Tyrion when he called her out in front of the whole tavern, and then later caught up with him and tortured him for information not publicly like that's but, what i would have done i mean like oh like... great here's Tyrion. i can finally get some answers not let's publicly arrest him and drag him back up to the north for justice i'd be like no let's get some answers right
0: now well what i but... mean what i mean is that Tyrion's gonna be needling her for answers
2: so what does she say like i just missed i missed my husband and daughters and i had to come visit them i guess she could have said something
0: like that and I'm traveling oh. just with this one guy in secret. Right. It, it, but, I, I th- but, but here's but, the thing who would have been questioning that? Tyrion like, would have.
2: Tyrion's pretty dang smart. Like, Tyr- Tyrion would be fast. like,
0: why did you. You Ned just left you. What are you doing? You were supposed to. What? What's happening? Well, I like whatever her the idea, case, though, I do yeah. like the
2: idea, Brooke, of of waiting until later and torturing him. That would have been. That well, would I don't have know why so, he'd get away oh, with
0: that. He has yeah. more manpower than she does. That's true. Maybe. He's got two But if she's in. so
1: quick and articulate and clever enough to get him captured, then she could have, she could have figured out something else that was less damning to her entire like
2: And That's what what makes Catelyn so interesting, right? She can be so calculating and clever and smart and stuff, but this is the same woman that just, haphazardly ran at a dude with a knife and grabbed that knife by the blade and just, you know, yeah. and so I love the, the humanity of these types yeah. of characters. She
0: is impulsive for sure. Yeah. She is. And that's something that they, that's kind of a stark quality, right? Even going back to the wolf's blood kind of thing, like a very impulsive kind of thing to do. She's, she's got that impulsiveness in her too. And, you know, we've seen it a couple times already. Um mm-hmm. It's not not so good. Um, I, I did want to take a second and talk about about the crossroad. Uh, this is a place... I don't think this is a, too big of a spoiler. This location shows up throughout the series several times. So I, I just wanted to, to help everyone know exactly where it is, if you can't tell. It's sometimes <laughs> it's not very clear. It's not like it's labeled the crossroad on the map or anything. So sus Mapus. Get out your maps. And uh, you, if you look... Right where the Kings Road runs north and intersects another dotted line that heads between River Run and uh, the Bloody Gate, right where they cross, where there's also kind of a, a a flux of rivers there that are also joining together. That is the crossroad. And there's just basically this giant in there where tons of people gather because it's where a lot of traffic is going. and uh, it's it's a it's a key. Location just because it's kind of connecting to a lot of different key places in the land. So, uh, find that place on your maps. It's uh, noted as a key point, uh, in the books. And how
2: and we'll how, uh, there. symbolic of Kat to find herself at this literal crossroads yes. for her. She goes left, mm-hmm. she's at River Run, which is where her father is. She goes right, she's going to the Erie where her sister is. North is home where her children are. So, and she her- literally has. And choices. her decision making has
0: put her whole family at a crossroads now as well, right? Mm-hmm. So it's.
2: Uh, we roll. will definitely be including a soundbite from Bone Thugs and Harmonies' "The Crossroads."
3: <laughs> uh,
0: yes.
2: The crossroads. It's spelled the song is spelled T H A because.
0: Because yeah. Cleveland's education Jeez. system apparently is not that good. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Uh, what else in this chapter? Um, oh, uh, just one small thing. She says when she's talking about maybe going back to River Run and not wanting to tax her father. I'm like, all right. There are other reasons not to go to River Run, but loath to tax him now. It's like you don't have a whole lot of choice now. Now is when you have the information that might be important. If you don't tax him now, he might pay a much heavier tax later. So I thought it was an interesting reason not to want to go there.
1: It sounds like the excuses I use not to hang out with my parents.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to be an inconvenience?
0: Yep. (laughs) Wow. Maybe.
2: I hope you never use that excuse with us, Brooke.
0: Because you're Never. never
2: an inconvenience.
0: Uh, alright, let's uh unless you guys have anything else from this chapter, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to uh to Sansa.
2: Yeah, there's a lot we could talk about, but there is. time is of the essence.
0: Let's talk okay. Sansa.
2: Don't know when a prince will come, but
3: surely he's a gonna come for Sansa Stark. He'll be looking like a Tully and a daddy killed a wolfy Sansa
1: Stark. Okay, so I'm going to blast through this summary because really this whole chapter was just a list of random knights competing in the King's Hand tourney and uh, Sansa describing delicious food. So interestingly, there isn't any mention of Eddard that I could find, despite it being his tournament. But uh, mind you, it is from Sansa's point of view, and she was pretty enamored with Joffrey the whole time, who is being suspiciously charming and talking to their to her for the first time since he was bitten by Nymeria on the road to King's Landing. Uh, so much so that he even got Septimordane Sansa's chaperone, wine drunk, presumably, so he could be more liberal with the charm. Anyways, anything, everything is magical and splendid and glamorous, and the food is delicious, and the nights are romantic. And Sansa is even gifted a flower by one of the star competitors, uh, Loris Tyrrell, who is also known as the Knight of Flowers. And so everything's going great. Um, I love her descriptions of, oh, what was it? Trout baked in clay. Oh, so great. When I do eat meat, I'm going to go for the trout. So oh, delicious. Gross. Yuck. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, no. I it's think of a fish, fish wrapped
2: up in Play-Doh.
1: Oh, no, it's it's very, very tasty. Anyways, wow. um, things are going great. And then Robert loses it all over his wife, yelling at her in a drunken rage because he wants to fight in the tournament himself. And Cersei doesn't actually say anything. She, in fact, storms off silently. Uh, but that pretty much brings the whole dinner party to a halt. Uh, Septimor Dane is passed out, so Joffrey offers Sansa an escort back to the castle, and she expects him to walk her back. But he's obviously been shaken by his father's outburst, and he sends her back with his bodyguard, the Hound, or, or Sandor Clegane. So Sansa is both deeply disappointed and extremely frightened by this, especially since the Hound is visibly drunk. So this is just a real real safe situation going on here. Anyways, she tries, she's still a lady and she tries to make nice conversation and she even calls him sir, like a knight, but the hound makes sure that she knows that he never took the knight vows. And also that being a knight doesn't guarantee chivalry, um, IE like his brother, Gregor. So, uh, this prompts him to call her a pretty little bird, like a bird from the Southern isle who is trained to talk pretty and and uh, make polite conversation, and uh, he ends up grabbing her jaw and, and making her take a good look at the scars on the side of his face, and we get a real just juicy description of how badly he's been disfigured, and it, it is brutal. Like, like burn scars so bad that they're black and red, and there's bone showing through on his jaw, and just, just horrible. And he ends up confessing to her how he actually got the the scar and um, he he says that uh, a lot of people think it, it might have uh, come from a raid or some sort of uh, fight or perhaps even dragon fire but no it was his brother uh, Gregor the mountain who rides um, when Sandor was only six and Gregor was I believe five years older than him Uh, Sandor stole one of his toys and Gregor, instead of yanking it back or yelling at his little brother, just grabbed him by the face and held him against some hot coals in a brazier for so long that three grown men had to drag this 11-year-old boy who was already six feet tall off of his little brother. Mm. And uh, their father, uh, Sandor explains, actually said it was just a fire that his bedding caught on fire. So, Gregor never got blamed and a few le- years later he was anointed as a knight and and yeah that's 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 what a knight can truly be and Sansa started out this whole escort being quite frightened and and just trying to keep her wits about her but ends it feeling sad and a lot of sympathy for the hound and uh yeah that's kind of Kind of where we leave off. Oh, wait, no. Then he threatens to kill her if she tells everyone anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I almost forgot that bit. Yeah. yeah. So she feels really bad for him. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, by the way, if you tell Joffrey, so Joffrey doesn't know, or anyone else, what I told you here, I'll kill you. So <laughs> we went from touching, tender moment between those two to death threats. I love that. I love it when Men threaten to kill women. It's my favorite.
0: <laughs> Amen. I love it when Woo. it's believable. Because yeah. you leave that scene. You leave that scene and you're like, he'll do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So one of like, I guess not a theory, but one of the overriding wishes of a lot of readers is that Sansa and the Hound Actually, you know, have some sort of Beauty and the Beast type romantic relationship, but I think this seals it that that will never happen. I mean, he is pretty crazy, and uh, she has a lot more opportunities out there than a a grizzled old uh, non knight. So,
0: yeah, I, I've I've seen that uh, I've seen that hope uh, posted and, around, and I it's an interesting one, but I. It's not the one I hope for. The Beauty and the Beast thing is so overdone. It's appealing, though. It is no. It, it's it's a very romantic idea. You know, both of these characters have redeeming qualities, and, and to find each other and have them bring those qualities out in each other is, is it's a very appealing idea. But I'd like I'd like George to flip it on its ear and have it be some sort of more tragic relationship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Sansa dies saving the hound or something 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 a little bit more more tragic than uh than a happily ever after but we'll see it's definitely something a lot of people hope for and uh it is intriguing it's one of the more intriguing uh pseudo romantic things going on in this book
1: Mhm definitely ooh another intriguing pseudo romance that I forgot to mention is that while she's watching the tournament, she has her first interaction with Littlefinger who we know grew up with her mother, Catelyn and was also very much in love with Catelyn. And surprising to me that Littlefinger and Sansa haven't actually run into each other yet. Like in the castle, like he hasn't gone out of his way to check her out. But uh, apparently this is the first time he's seen her notes that she has the look of the Tully's in her mother's hair and touches the side of her face and then, like, ghosts off like the weird, creepy pedophile he is.
2: So
0: creepy. Creeper's gonna creep. I think... (laughs) uh, I think... Yeah, Jouster's gonna joust and Creeper's gonna creep. I I think... uh, I think he has seen her around. And I think he waited for this opportunity to catch her off guard. Ned's not around. uh, Creepy...
2: Get this girl a rape whistle.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Holy oh, cow. Yeah. Creepo. I I want to say too about the uh the the jousting. Germ has a talent for nicknames, and in the final uh the the final four competitors, you have four awesome nicknames: the Knight of Flowers, the Hound, the Kingslayer. And the best one of all, The Mountain That Rides.
1: Oh, you're right. Those are good. Yeah, I never looked at it like that.
0: My second favorite nickname in the whole series, The Mountain That Rides. And I'll I'll save my favorite one for later.
2: How intriguing.
0: But uh, the most most interesting stuff about this chapter is not any of the jousting, although there is some interesting stuff in here. It's, It's way less interesting to a new reader than it is to somebody who's read it before and comes back and like, oh, that guy. That guy! That guy! Uh, you yeah. know, because you know them later. So many of these names show up later. But to a new reader, it's just like, oh, random name number 28. You know, he went down in a battle against random name number 22. You know, but most of these names mean something to us that, that have gone through the series. So, um, interesting to kind of come back and read this chapter later, maybe. But uh, the most interesting stuff about this chapter is the interactions with the Hound and the stuff that happens at the dinner. I, I just... I, I want to know... Why? Why did the hound tell Sansa this stuff?
2: Exactly. Can
0: he be trusted mm. to tell mm-hmm. to be telling her that everything he's telling her is true? Does he have any ulterior motives or not?
2: I oh, don't know. The first indication is that he's just drunk, and he was you know wouldn't matter who he was walking home, he was just gonna blab. Um yeah. But Been there. he was he was lucid. <laughs> yeah, but he was lucid enough at the end of the night to realize. I told her this stuff. Shut up. You know, so he obviously it seems like he wasn't as drunk as we might have thought he was. Mm. Um, so what? what well, uh, he, he kind of strikes me about?
1: as the the kind of guy who would hire a prostitute not for sex, but so he could like hug her and tell her all this stuff. We can just snuggle. Oh,
0: Brooke. yeah, that's tender in a really weird way. Well,
1: I'm sure it's not so much fun for her because at the end he'll be like, "Here's your gold, and if you tell anyone, <laughs> I will kill you." But, but I wonder if if he felt that same kind of um, trust dynamic with Sansa while they were alone walking yeah. and. Yeah.
0: But 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 it's not even just personal stuff. He reveals something reasonably important about about the death of Sir Hugh during the jousting that is more than just personal he oh yeah bas- he basically says Gregor murdered that guy It's basically <laughs> what he's saying and you know the motivation behind that we could speculate on but that's not information that's just like oh by the way this is my personal baggage and I feel like I can confide in you this is like can he be trusted to I don't know I, I guess I guess he doesn't have any ulterior motives really uh we got a couple more minutes on this chapter here. Um anything else we want to go through? Uh d- uh Joffrey's performance is a little weird. I all, feel bad that Sansa just, just can't have
2: a date go go well or end well.
0: Yeah, but, I mean this is like her dream day. Like, Joff just imagine, can't finish. He ima- just can't he, finish. He can't finish. It's not clutch. <laughs> imagine like like try to remember the best day you've ever had. The best day you've ever had. Hard to remember sometimes. But this is Sansa's best day she's ever had. Mm. It's the best day she's ever had. And then like it just goes to shit in the last act, right? Like the dinner gets ruined and the, the, the uh you know, the mystique is gone. She's getting uh, you know, escorted back by a guy with a mangled face who's stoned dead drunk. Uh she gets her life threatened. Like it's the best day gone to crap. And Yeah, it takes a 180. Sad.
2: Just um, like uh what happened on the trident.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. So yes. I'm saying that
2: the kid can't finish. She's just... <laughs> getting
1: hoodwinked by Joffrey. Um, obviously buying into more the principle of dating the prince of the land rather than who he is as a person. She's definitely mm-hmm. in love with what he should be, not what he is. Um, also, you were really depressing me, Scad. I can't think about what my best day is. Damn it.
0: No, yeah, I know it's hard. I, I don't oh. have one in my head either. I don't know.
1: Scad, what? yours just happened like a month ago. It did? The birth <laughs> of your child. Come well, on, I have, man. No, I have, At least you can lie about it.
0: <laughs> I have two children. Which one do I pick? I also married a, a lovely a lovely woman. Oh, I could boy, pick that yeah, day. I mean, um, you know, the day I came gasping into the world was probably pretty important. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's tough to pick.
2: Today's my best but it's day. But not,
1: it's not tough to pick because there's so many. I just can't think of one. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Today's your best day, Matt.
2: I follow Dave Matthews's counsel. Every day should be a good day to die.
0: Oh, that's deep.
2: Check that out. Yep. Yep. Remember it. Uh, can that's I say just one thing about... said
0: by somebody that didn't die yet. Hmm. Right.
2: <laughs> Easy for you to say, bud. Yeah. Uh, can I just say one thing about Sansa real quick? I I appreciate her. I'm going to say it anyways, whether you guys said yes or no. Appreciated her, uh, the, the the strength, the courage that Sansa has. We see her as kind of this, I don't know, this kind of maybe your typical tween, if I can be so stereotypical to say. But um, she has kind of a courage that's a little bit uncommon, but that's definitely there. Uh, keeping her composure with the hound and the way that she treated him and stuff, I think it's a testament to her character. We're led to, I know when I first read through the books, I was Sansa, when I saw a Sansa chapter, I just wanted to skip it. And I'm enjoying getting into her character more and seeing some of these qualities that she has, and I'm interested to see where they go.
0: I'll begrudgingly agree. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's, he's still not over it.
0: I just don't I – don't, I don't want to give her credit for courage. Like, what is her alternative?
1: Yeah, no, I know. I had another little spark of of Sansa frustration when she was thinking back to that down the trident. She was like, stupid Arya. It's like, no, stupid Sansa.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: you're the one who lied. You did this to yourself. But,
2: but yeah, again. She still,
1: she still hasn't realized – She is. Yeah, no, And certainly she is going to have a lot of regrets when she grows up and matures a little more. But right now it's still just, oh, come on.
2: There could have been like freaking out, crying and stuff when the hound was walking her home and grabbed her by the face and everything. And she she held her ground and she was scared to death, but she maintained a certain sense of composure. And I I appreciate that in her. I think that that's cool. It's still kind of raw. You know, it still needs to be cultivated and developed, but it's
1: there. Or was that composure when Robert was interrogating her? Anyways, yeah,
0: I hear you. Well, maybe she's grown a little, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, you're right. She could have started bawling, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't want to give her credit for too much courage. I don't think Um, she had a whole lot of alternatives.
2: And I'm not, but I'm just saying I appreciate it.
0: Hmm.
2: I'm finding more depth in her than I did before, and I'm liking it.
0: Cool. All right, uh, I think we should move on to Davos After Dark. Sounds good. Cue music. Oh, wait, do you want to talk about next week? Oh, yes. Matt, do you want to talk about next week?
2: I sure as heck do. Wow, next week we are getting two more Eddard chapters. So we're doing Eddard's seventh, Tyrion's fourth, Arya's third, Eddard's eighth, and Catelyn's sixth. So it should be a fun time.
0: Meaty. (laughs) I'm excited. All right, uh, Davos After Dark. After Dark. Where do you guys want to start? I, I highlighted so many things.
1: Okay, I just want to say, just from my comment during the podcast, my little, I have something to say during Davos After Dark. All this build up for Stannis, and guess what we get out of it? Freaking Stannis. He is the worst! <laughs> <laughs>
0: See, I, I, I like Stannis. Uh, a small part of me likes Stannis. Oh, such a dud. He's a dud. Yeah, but he's <laughs> he's he's a principled dud. He, he does somewhat violate his own principles sometimes. Anyway. That's
2: what makes him interesting, is he says and he acts so straight laced and everything and, yeah, <laughs> and so
0: then the much. whole yeah red witch situation. Mm-hmm. I, I heard I read a I think I saw it on, on our Twitter. Um somebody posted a story about they they went into to get a coffee, at Starbucks or something. And they, for the name to write on the cup, they said Stannis. And the barista, when when the coffee was done, yelled out, I have a mocha latte for the one true king of Westeros.
1: Oh, that's awesome! <laughs>
0: and I don't know whether that's a true story or not, but I thought it was funny.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I was so disappointed, you guys. So just a little bit of backstory for our listeners. We all work for the same company, and we had a company retreat that I went to But these two didn't go to because they're committed to their families. Whatever. Anyways, we were on this hike. We went through this abandoned old train tunnel. I was walking with some guys from finance. And I was like, guys, just for a second, let's pretend we're dwarves under the mountain. And they call it a mine. A mine. (laughs) <laughs> and they just looked at me. I got nothing. I didn't even get them humming the soundtrack from Lord of the Rings. Nothing. They so were
2: I'm finance guys. First problem.
0: <laughs> I, no, I don't know. I would have guessed finance guys might have been nerdy enough to pick that up and, and run with it. No. Oh, That's tragic. Sad. That is sad.
1: Yeah. Good thing I was drunk the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> totally.
0: You missed out. Anyways. Okay. Back to Davos after dark. Uh the seed is strong, we didn't hardly even touch on it when we were talking about that chapter. Do you want to go there?
2: It was too dangerous to touch on.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's dangerous. dangerous.
1: We it's so hard to bandy about theories about what's gonna happen when, you know when what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, especially
0: when George is
1: feeding first time readers a lot of information.
0: I do wanna say like nobody's last words are ever like give me a cheeseburger.
3: <laughs> you know,
0: like Yoda's, uh, you know, Yoda's is, is big, meaningful thing. The seed is strong. Like, can't you just be more clear?
1: Yeah, he could have just been. The like... Lannisters are
0: bastards. Can you spell yeah. it out for
1: him? <laughs> yeah, John, what were you thinking?
2: I think he didn't trust uh whoever was there. So um, he was oh. um, whether it Aaron was his was wife punch. or whether it was his wife or, his, or Robert and. We find out later that, for good reason, he's not trusting his wife. She killed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But But neither of those two are smart enough to figure it out.
1: (laughs) I mentioned this in my notes, but it came as a surprise to me through this read-through. I've forgotten how close Stannis and and John were during this whole investigation. And that's that's like a, a big component to the overall... Uh, conspiracy of of the Lannisters taking over the throne. Like they both are dead convinced that Joffrey and the rest of the progeny are not legitimate heirs. Yeah. And so much so that
0: yeah, John dies. And lending to the mystery, John and Stannis actually aren't close as people. They've been brought close because yeah. they have this common feeling, right?
1: Yeah. So pretty serious.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, serious enough serious. for him to leave. Yeah, like this was. Stanis is the guy that didn't he like hold out in, in a siege for like yeah. ever to name, the point the that they sake, were like the eating boot and leather him. and stuff. Yeah, and, and eating boot leather and stuff. This is not a guy that just gives up or something. Yep. And so for him to actually get the heck out of Dodge and and abandon the Small Council and stuff like he kind of did is is a big deal or someone like old Stanny,
0: mm-hmm. can can we go to the damn locket? What's up with that? I don't know, but somebody said something in the, during the main part of the show that indicated they had something to share here. So I want to hear it because I'm confused.
2: No, I, I just wanted to discuss it more. It was me. I really don't have much.
1: Honestly, um, I think it was a dead end by George. Like he could have followed up with it, and then he killed off Renly. Like, hmm.
0: interesting. Yeah, I don't know.
2: It's another the like the closest tie I can make is that it's another Baratheon liana Stark connection, and I, I don't know how to go further with that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> or maybe it was just like Renly being like, "Hey, dude, check out this hot chick. Yeah. I'm totally out straight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love boobs. Don't you love boobs? <laughs> so, so, so confession." I didn't figure out that he was gay at all when reading the books.
2: They don't ever explicitly say he is.
0: And, and but in the show, I'm watching. I'm watching that scene. I'm like, oh. Oh,
2: season one. Yeah. Season it,
0: one. I'm like, oh. Yeah. That's Renly. I didn't know that about Renly. I yeah. must have missed really? something in you my reading. You never picked up on it. No, I didn't pick up on it.
1: I think Marjorie actually says something. She's like, yeah, well, uh, where, who's she saying it to? I think I there remember. is a hint.
0: It's it's like uh.
1: 'Cause she was betrothed to Renly, right? Yes. So and she was like, Well, I've kinda I kinda got a raw deal, but at least my brother gets lot love, love out of this and I'm marrying well, which is always her only ambition. But she does like
2: really apply it. it. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. does everything but outright say.
0: Yeah, I missed it. So okay, so so we have theory theory one, and really our only plausible one that uh Renly's trying to convince Ned that he's just one of the guys. <laughs>
1: By bringing up his dead sister. Yes. Try Renly.
0: Good try. (laughs) (laughs) By saying, look at this girl. She's hot. She looks like your sister. What?
2: (laughs) Right. Because he doesn't come across as this sly. I'm trying to send you a secret message type of guy. Like, I don't know. Maybe he was trying to say something, but he knows about the little birds, Varys's dudes. Um, And so he's trying to be just subtle about it. But Renly just doesn't strike me as subtle. I don't yeah. know. It's all dead ends.
0: Yeah. I'm not getting it. Uh, do we have, do we have any, I don't think we do have any, uh, R plus L equals J today.
2: No. Uh, all right. That's, that's oh. the closest thing we've got to it.
0: What about, what about John's, uh, dream about the crypts of Winterfell? Do we want to talk about that?
1: I didn't feel like it was, it was like had enough depth. I think I... that's a pretty, a pretty shallow dream about your old home. The,
0: yeah, the the only thing I'd like to speculate on, which might be fun to speculate on, is uh, that he says that's not who I'm afraid of. And he's referring to the kings of uh, the the kings of Winter, right? And he says that's not what I'm afraid of, but he's afraid of something. Oh yeah. Just speculation. I
1: think I think he's afraid of seeing his family buried down there. Oh uh, maybe. Is what I got from it. But um it was a good reminder that the kings of old always had direwolves with them. And like and I know we've like beaten this horse to death, but Ned should have been more excited about the direwolf pups and not even considered the idea of putting them down. He should have been like, yes, direwolf pups, like we will now
0: seize our rightful place as rulers of the world. We're back much. in business. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. And he was like, "Okay, but you guys got to feed him." <laughs> like, lame. Uh,
0: I don't know. I, I thought, uh, speculating, it's like uh, maybe, maybe it's indicative of some, some chasm in John's mind about the truth of his origin, that's metaphorically locked away in that crypt. Like he's
2: gonna mm. have to he's gonna have to go down that path someday. Yep, to find
0: out who he the really path is. Of his heritage. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. And he never finds out. Oh, so disappointing. There's also uh there's a mention. He's that alive, there's, bro. There's,
2: he's alive.
0: <laughs> there's no torch to light the way. Uh no torch, no fire. Fire being part of the Targaryen thing. Oh. Just a little imagery there, just throwing it out.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I'm totally on board with the fact that he didn't die in the stabbing. Um, but the guy who could have told him the truth is definitely dead.
2: Uh, Amon? Dead. No, Ned. Well. Oh.
0: There's more than just Ned out there, though. Have have faith.
1: Oh, don't worry, I have faith. <laughs>
2: right. Good. Good. I, I I had a slight thought that that doesn't support R plus L equals J and is probably way too far reaching to be of any substance. Let's hear it. And that is, is that when, you know, when Ned's reading the big volume, the big book uh, about, you know, the lineage of, of Kings and everything, we have this discovery that all of Robert's, uh, we, we come to that conclusion that helps us with knowing that Jamie is Cersei's kid's dad, Boy, that was a long way of saying that, Um, and and part of that is because all of Robert's bastards didn't get the hair color of their mother, right? They even go so far as to mention that Gendry's mother was blonde, yet he was he had dark hair, and um, Cersei's kids were all blonde. Uh, We could assume maybe because John was, or the the kid Jamie was their dad, and he had blonde hair, so. Rhaegar Targaryen, he had dark hair, did he not?
1: He was blonde. All the Targaryens are blonde.
2: Oh, that's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) Did I say (laughs) silvery? He had the silvery silvery blonde. Mm -hmm. But Ned has dark hair. And uh, so if we're following that whole line of hair color, then Mm -hmm. it would lead us to believe that Jon is not Rhaegar's son.
1: Oh, but I don't think it's a matter of of getting it from your father. I think it's just the dominant dark hair color gene. Yeah, and then Lyanna yes. had dark hair. So Well, and,
0: and the Targaryens always marry each other to keep that pure. If they mm-hmm. didn't, they would likely end up with kids that were not silver-haired.
2: Mm, there you go. Now we're building on this a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I would say, you know, I'm no I'm no Mendel Brook, but <laughs> the I think the genetics put forth in these books is a little suspect.
2: You're saying that Gurm wasn't a geneticist or whatever it's eh, called. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Look, he's got a he's got a world that doesn't follow, uh, you know, uh, heavenly cycles, right? So, <laughs> I, I don't. Who knows? It's a, you can maybe do it. They're following everyone. different genetic rules too. I don't know.
2: Yeah, we're reaching there. Yeah, but or I'm reaching there.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing about uh, Matt, you brought something up that I never even considered. Littlefinger is helping Eddard solve the mystery. When he himself was the was the major mover in, in John Aaron's death. Why is he trying to help Ned solve this, when it's just going to uncover that he was the murderer?
2: That's why. Is it like a like I put down? Is it keep your enemies close type thing? Your friends close and your enemies closer. Well. It, Cause right now, right now, little finger's dictating what Ned knows, essentially, to a degree. And so, if he can keep, he, maybe his thought pattern is: if I can keep controlling what Ned knows, I can lead him along a little bit, but then I can steer him off when I need to. Um, yeah, I don't my, know. Maybe he figures th- that the more control he has over what Ned knows, the better position he's in.
0: My only thought was similar. <laughs> uh, that he wants he wants Ned to find out enough so that he suspects the issues of the bastardy and mm-hmm. causes a shitstorm in King's Landing about legitimacy the legitimacy
2: of Yep, so's Discord, right. which is what he thrives on.
0: Right. Mm. And that he suspects that he'll never get all the way to, to seeing that it was Littlefinger that was the cause. Right. right. Mm. That was my only thought on it.
2: I think that's a, a pretty valid thought.
0: Also, Brooke, you, uh, you very... Very cleverly, in your summary, uh, noted that Cersei doesn't say anything to Triple B uh, during the uh, the shitstorm at the at the feast.
1: Uh, She's like, "Yeah, that would be great if you
0: fought. That would really help me out." Yes, yeah.
2: exactly. <laughs> she wants him to dig his own grave. She's yeah.
0: dying for him to fight. She, for sure, said to him, "I forbid you to do it," so that he Which would means he's to going to do it, immediately. Yeah.
2: He's like, my yeah. work here is finished. Yeah. See you later.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, that was good. I'm, um, I'd find it interesting that Jamie didn't go after her. He tried to as, console the king or calm him down. It is interesting. But um, I guess he has to keep up some sort of ruse of him actually being Kingsguard. Yeah. Is it a ruse? You know. He is
0: Kingsguard.
2: Yeah, he is. But so, I don't
1: think he cares about Robert.
0: No.
2: No. He He did it because he was expected to do it, I think. Yeah. It's uber patient, too, huh? It's thrown yeah. around, called Kingslayer, just takes it.
0: I just want to point ah. out that the Triple B could totally take Jamie.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> yes, I don't know. if he had his Warhammer, no man could best him.
2: I don't know. Not,
0: not these days, for sure.
2: Maybe a few <laughs> years ago. But yeah. Maybe in his prime.
0: <sighs> have, we, have we beaten uh, Davos after Dark to Death?
2: I think so. That was fun, though. I'll you the